Pod, the internet radio show all about motorcycle road racing. This is episode number 675. We're reviewing the Grand Premio Brembo de Algrave. I'm Jim McDowell, hosting the show, and I can't do these things without somebody else to help me along for every time that I stumble and make a little mistake. So I bring in the guy from the UK, Rich. What's going on, Rich? Hey, Jim. Yeah, good evening. Uh, looking forward to getting into the weeds on last weekend's race. It's three, uh, three very distinctly different uh, races to discuss. Yes, we talked about this just before the... We had the pre-show to the show, folks, and we figured out that the racing was one great race, one boring race, and one race that got interesting at the very end of it. But before yep. we can get into all that, we need to start with one of these. And just to really make you all mad, it's actually a Dr. Pepper. <laughs> so, with that... We want to thank all of everybody who's been donating to the show, everybody at Patreon as well. If you like this show, you have a few spare change laying around, help us out by going to www.motopodcast.com. You can go to the PayPal and Patreon links on the side. Every little bit helps. Keeps the show running, keeps the lights on, keeps us ad-free. And with that, I think we'll go right to the little bit of news we have, Rich. Yeah. Actually, no. We got listener feedback to put in with this one. Sorry. I messed up. So here we go. First off, hi, love your two's podcast, and I tell you why. There's no ego. It's not about you, but just passion for the subject. I did a bit of hunting around over Fernandez's odd crash, and the grab and grabbed I grabbed a little bit from a link below that explains it best. And this is actually um, um, Don Barnes, psych, official psychologist of the Motopod show. He had found this to tell us why there was such, you know, I postulated that the problem was the, that there was a problem with the braking system in Fernandez's bike, maybe air, a bit of moisture, something like that in there. It's not. It was from uh, David Emmett, so how to, you know, Moto Matters, David Emmett, so hat tip to him on finding this information. It was basically that Fernandez's rear tire was losing grip uh, that caused it to overload the front and it did not contribute its share of braking. On that hot lap when he crashed, he left his braking that little bit later, hit the brakes while still upright, rear push the front, and boom, lock crash. Down we go. So, Don, thank you for doing that, writing in, letting us know. I did not catch that on Motor Matters that that was there, but it's definitely plausible for what was going on. We see that a lot with the guys with the Michelins and MotoGP, so it's fair to say that that thing probably happens again in moto 2 so that's the reason for the crash my speculation of a brake system failure was completely incorrect what else is new Me too. <laughs> i thought it was i mean the way that crash looked i would have i would have laid good money on the fact that you know it was one of those things where it was an air pocket i actually got to thinking about it afterwards and i thought well man i wonder if there well and i went back to look to see if there was one in there i thought well maybe there was a high speed wobble where you know, a lot of times these guys come out of the corner, the front end's just barely off the ground, they'll kind of be sideways with it, they'll touch the ground, and the bars will shake violently as they straighten out, and you get the gyro effect, and you, you're going straight again. That tends to knock the pads back off the rotors, and I thought, well, maybe that was it. Maybe it was real quick, he pumped once, and it was nothing, uh-oh, and he pumped and grabbed a second time, which probably would have been more logical if I had thought about that first, but given the fact that it was all that smoke that had come out from underneath the wheel... I just thought it was a brake system failure, but we know now it was all about tire grip. So, goes to show how on the edge these guys are all the time, doesn't it? One oh. small change to you know breaking that little bit later, or the rear grip, or whatever, and the, down you go. Yeah, every bit of it is so minutely important. So the news, 
See, we all know that Mark Marquez did not ride due to a concussion that was suffered on Tuesday from, take your pick here, a push bike crash, a motocross crash, or an enduro event that he was riding crash, or a mini moto crash. Take it, because I heard every one of those in news and speculation. Pick which least, one you think. At least he wasn't closing his window this time. <laughs> Oh, Rich, I love you, man. That's what I thought, too. At least he wasn't closing a window. So we then find out today, this just happened, uh, what would be somewhere around like noon here in the U.S., that Marquez is now out of the Valencia GP and the test that's going to happen at the end of the year. Now, that that's really big news because we get an all-brand-new Honda coming in 22 from the spy shots at the Mizano test. That bike is wholesale different than the bike that they're actually riding right now. So, without Mark to evaluate the bike at that time, they're going to have to rely on what Brattle thinks and what Aspargaro thinks. I, I mean, they can also listen to Alex, and they can also listen to Nakagami because they're all Honda riders as well. But the main guy that you want is not going to be there. Thoughts, Rich? Well, I mean, that is a huge piece of news, isn't it? I think most people were expecting that he probably would sit out this weekend's race if he had a bit of a lingering injury because, you know, one race to go, not in the championship. Why why do it? Why risk it? But for him to be ruled out of the Jerez test as well is very, very significant. Now, this, I believe, is a repeat or well, I was going to say a reoccurrence, but certainly the same condition that he suffered I think back in 2013, which, if my memory serves me correctly, was the first or second season that he was in Moto Two. First and he season, was first season of Moto Two. He had yeah. this pain crash, which he knocked it, his. Yep. He knocked his. He hit so hard that it like, I forget what it was. It either pulled the muscle that controls your eye, or it. Uh, ripped it off and he I know he had to have surgery on his eye I don't know what the exact reason for the surgery was other than he had a vision problem which it sounds as though that he is suffering again with dilopia which I asked my wife about this mm. and she said that dilopia is a simultaneous perception of two images of a single object that may be displayed horizontally or vertically in relation to each other it's basically double vision, people. Yeah. So apparently Mark is seeing double vision again, which that's not good. It seems like the poor guy can't catch a break because he just seemed to get back to sort of that magic that he has. And he kind of had that magic back on a clockwise circuit. So you're thinking, cool. Honda's got a new bike, a new weapon. We go through some testing and the prospect of a, let's call it 92% fully fit Mark Marquez with Pecco Benyaya on the form that he's on with Quattro on the form that he is on. And you're thinking that is some tasty racing that you're going to see next year. And now... Who knows what's going to happen? Yeah, and I mean, let's not forget that the the Sepang crash in Moto Two back in I think it was 2013. Let, let's I say, think you're right. Say, was at the time 
almost kind of career ending because if that hadn't been corrected, that problem, clearly he wouldn't have been able to race. And if you recall, he lost the championship to Bradle that year, which is kind of ironic that Bradle's <laughs> now subbing for him. So whether this is just a coincidence and he, he's kind of done some similar damage in this in this latest crash that he's had, whether that's just a recurrence of, of, of that previous injury, obviously we can't possibly know that, but it's obviously serious enough to rule him out of the most important test that Honda will have had for two or three years, I would suggest. And they might now just be ruining letting Carl Crutchlow go as a test rider because he would have been invaluable in this situation. Bradle's obviously a very accomplished test rider, but whether he's ultimately got the sort of speed that you need to evaluate a brand new bike. And I mean, the other three guys, two of them are, well, Alex is quite inexperienced. Nakagami is so inconsistent. And Paul, well, he's quick, but again, he doesn't have an awful lot of experience as a reference point in terms of the old to the new bike, really. He's only been on it for a year. So they're going to really miss Marquez in that test in terms of a, a first evaluation on what is a very radically different concept bike. True. But if Mark does come back and he can make, like, say, a Sepang test or one of the other tests that are scheduled, I still think that's okay for Honda. We know that Honda has all the resources and the ability to build, change, make, rebuild, create, redo quicker probably than any of the other teams that's there. Um, so I don't... Do not get me wrong. It is extremely important that he should be at that test. He is not. That is going to cause a huge amount of data to, you know, what do they've got four people on that bike, right? So now you're getting three quarters of the information that you could have gotten. But, uh, you know, the other thing too is, is you got to ask yourself, was Marquez fully fit enough at that test with his shoulder slash arm slash other problems to really push the new bike as hard as it needed to be pushed? speculation on my part i'm guessing that they could have at least figured something out maybe found a true direction as opposed to having say maybe two directions maybe found one direction to push in but you know if marquez is still out come the february tests then we've got to think a lot more about what's happening here this could be a bit of a crossroads moment for Honda or HRC, really, with regards to this bike, because, you know, yeah. everybody has leveled a criticism at HRC that that bike has been so centric to, to Marcus's style. Um, or that he's the only guy that can ride the Honda is the other comment that you frequently hear. So they've got a kind of decision to make now in terms of how they want to develop that bike. And, you know, let's be honest, the number of championships that he's got, the only reason he's going to want to come back and next season after all of these that he's been through in the last two years is to fight for the championship again and if they're behind on the development curve i mean the bike might be you know a1 straight out of the box that that could that could happen but history tends to tell us that you start chasing your tail if you're late to the party with your development program and if they're kind of cycling through frames and different swinging arms and this and that and so on through the season that's obviously going to hinder his opportunity to fight what's going to be a tough battle with Quattararo and Banyar in particular next year. So it's it's going to be a tough ask, I think, for all concerned, based on this news. Mm, agreed. They're, 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 they're facing an uphill battle that's now gotten steeper. Yeah. So just to round out this whole knock-your-head thing and be, you know, concussed, remember Anchu crashed at uh, Mazzano? 
and he get knocked himself cold for like 10 minutes and he wound up racing the next day. Yep. <laughs> you know, I, there's, you know, cause at first it was just reported that Mark had a concussion. Oh, wow. You're not going to ride because you have a concussion. Okay. I mean, good. Like we, we've had this discussion numerous times in the mm. show that your brain has been bruised. That's essentially a concussion and it needs time to heal and come back, which is great. Yet a younger, you know, everybody's different. Cause I, again, I asked, I asked my wife this too. She says, everybody's different. Everybody reacts to a concussion differently. Everybody's is going to be different. And she says, if he went through a protocol, which I assume aunt you had to go through something because there's, there, there is a concussion protocol, but we don't seem to know what it exactly is. And if he passed, he passed fair enough, but it's just, it just goes to show that there's a very distinct difference between a person of, you know, of age, right? Mark is 28, I think, or will be 28. Mm -hmm. Something, something close, something close. Around. Anchu is maybe 19 now. So there's a, if if, if that, right? There's a, because I know they started at 16. I think it's like 30 years. That would take him to 19, roughly. So there's a big difference in age, right? There's a big difference in how, you know, what gear you have. There's a big difference between helmets because I think that Anchu does not wear a shoey. I think he has a shark. Not sure where. <laughs> where is Harry Lloyd when you need him in these moments of of clarity? But that was just another interesting thought there. Uh, continuing with the news, Aussie Joel Kelso will have a full time Moto Three ride with the CPI Green Power team next year in Moto Three. Good on him for another Aussie to be in there. Uh, remember. Gardner Road for the CPI Green Team on in Moto Two, so they do like Aussies. Though he and Kelso has not looked out of place for a kid who's coming from a junior championship. He's shown well, so yeah, fair play to him. And lastly, Rodrigo is out for the rest of the year. He was declared unfit because of his nagging left shoulder injury that he has, so we won't see him again until next year. I'm assuming we're going to hear something about him going to see. Dr. Mir, probably, for some surgery, potentially. We just haven't been told any of that as of yet. Anything else for the news, Rich? No, I, I think that's about it, really. It's been a slowish, slowish week, really, but I guess as the season starts to wind down, most, most of the big announcements, I suppose, have been made in terms of who's going where. Still, still some seats to fill, uh, obviously, and some of those will probably drag on for a while, but otherwise not, not too much. The, the, the big news was obviously the Marquez thing. And that's one to keep an eye on. Uh, pardon the pun. <laughs> yeah, good one, Rich. Good one. No, oh. that was, that was, I know, that was I know, I know, but I it's still, it, I don't want to be seen to be being rude or disrespectful because that was not my intention, but uh, that was a, 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 a Freudian slip. Oh, sorry. That one just, I'm sorry. That, that one just struck me. That one just struck me really weird, Rich. So, sorry. My fault, too. No, we're not trying to make fun of anybody's injury here, guys. It was just one of those things, and it just caught me off guard. We don't want to be robbed of this guy in the championship next no. year. Terrible if Mark has his, you know, long-term, if this proves to be a, a, a much more serious thing. Yes. So, fingers, you know, everything crossed that, that this thing gets sorted out, as it did last time. I agree. All right, let's get to some racing this weekend because, uh, like we said, let's let's go through. We're gonna go through it, guys, in the order in which the racing happened. We'll go Moto Three, Moto GP, Moto Two. So let's look at 
Moto 3 qualifying in the first qualifying session. Antonelli, Alcoba, Tatai, um, Rodrigo, Falon, Kelso were all in that first one. But going through to the second session was Alcoba, Cooney, Sura, and, uh, and Antonelli. They all got there. Cooney actually ran out of fuel on his HRC bike or his Indumitsu Honda, not HRC. Yep. So he was having a fit trying to get the bike back to the pits in time to get out to go on to the second session. In the second session, Suzuki fell early on. And then after the first runs, it was Salak, it was um, Sasaki, McPhee, Acosta, Alcoba, Guevara, Art Artigas, and Bender. So uh, Acosta was doing pretty good. He had gotten himself into that second session straight out of the third third uh, practice session. He was looking pretty good. What was interesting was there were lots of people who were losing time in the fourth sector. Everybody was setting really great one, two, three sector times, and then they would lose all of that time, which is a is basically that section is the fast sweep from turn. 14 all the way down the hill then back up and now i'm going how how are we losing time here it just seemed really odd that you could lose time time there garcia basically went to the top near the end and it was by a good half of a second that he was there um, everybody had a red helmet going into those last couple of laps and as it shook out sergio garcia took the pole position because he's now been cleared to ride after his incidents at Coda. McPhee took a strong second. Fernandez was third. That's one of the best qualifying sessions for Adrian all year long. He may have found something. He may be one to watch next year. Then Fagia was fourth. Masia fifth. Sixth was Artigas. Bender seventh. Uh, we're not there yet. Hang on. Antonelli eighth. Salak ninth. 10th was Sasaki, 11th was Alcoba, 12th was Guevara, still not there yet, 13th was Fanati, and then 14th, Pedro Acosta. Terrible qualifying session for the kid in what could be a race that he could wrap up the championship. Not sure what they had. He looked so good at the beginning of the session, but in the second part of that session, he couldn't put anything together. And basically, everybody else figured out how to go faster, and he couldn't. So there was work to be done overnight in the team there for Acosta. Plus, Anything else? Go ahead, Dretch. Well, crucially, he lost his last lap as well because well, he right. exceeded track limits. So uh, that lap was pulled. I I'm not quite sure in the final reckoning of things where that would have placed him, but clearly that did not help his final position. I don't uh, think he was any. Team. He would have been any faster than about ninth. It would. It wasn't like he was going to jump to the front two rows. No, no, no. With that no. lap, that was definitely not there. So it's a strange, though, as you say, because he'd been fast. I, I didn't yeah. really get a huge amount of the Friday running, but my understanding was that he was pretty quick straight out of the gate. Mm -hmm. um, and then things, as you say, Jim, for for a lot of people, things didn't quite go to plan when it came to the actual qualifying session. My my thought on sector four was whether or not suddenly the the wind did something a bit odd and it was catching people out uh, or, or perhaps gearing was then a problem. So they weren't quite, you know, getting the, 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 the fast run on that, on that final set. So that was the only thought that I had, because as you say, it was affecting so many people in the same way. It seemed to be something environmental in a way that, that had occurred. Yep. Agreed completely. Good thought on the wind. I didn't even think about, think about that one. So let's get into this Moto3 race. 
basically, <laughs> you got to go to the warm-up session that morning. Acosta was the fastest person in warm-up. And he cheekily found Fazia on the track that morning. Gave him a little wave as to like, hey, I'm, I'm here. Everything's, I'm still here. You, you haven't got this thing yet. And he gave him a little tire bump at the practice start area. Just to maybe rattle Fazia a little bit. Which, again, I, I've run out of superlatives for how this kid actually is. Because his racing maturity level is far beyond what like a 17-year-old would have. But the thing that it showed me was like, okay, this boy's ready to fight. It was that mentality like, hey, okay, yeah, things have not gone my way, but it doesn't matter. We're back on my home turf, and you are going to have to really work to get this championship. So that's how that was going to start out. The simple math was, didn't matter where Fazia would finish, as long as Pedro Acosta wins the race, he's world champion. Fazia can do nothing about it. It's win or nothing for Fazia is pretty much how it's going to come. Well, sorry, it's not win or nothing. It's beat Acosta at all cost. <laughs> it's mm. pretty much where it was going to be. With that being said, when we get the green light, Garcia jumps out there front, followed by Fernandez, McPhee, Artigas, Fagia, Bender. Pedro fell back to 12th. He didn't have the greatest start. He got kind of mired in that beginning there. But Fagia was by like five guys as they headed into turn one of this race. I mean, the draft was going to play a huge part in this one. And basically, he just slipstreamed by to lead at turn one on the second lap. Acosta did the same thing. He went from like seventh and went around the outside, rode around the outside of one and two to pass six or seven people. It was literally a, an amazing pass. And it's one of the things that we hadn't seen this kid make in the last five, six races. And I was like, whoa, it's either home track advantage or they really did figure the bike out in morning warm session. And now I was glued into this championship battle that was going to unfold ahead of us. Costa uh, then needed to get to Fagia, who was starting to pull away. Fagia had got to the front, started to put a little bit of gap on everybody. Acosta noticed that and realized, I got to go with him. So he sort of elbows out, deep dives into the turns, taking people at that apex, that famous Acosta line that he can do where he literally is in deeper closer to the apex than anybody and somehow magically makes it stop on the front had reappeared you agree rich like yeah. he was completely yeah, different yeah. The, the, the acosta from the first half of the season was back all of a sudden because although he's, he's pulled out some some great kind of rescue jobs in well say the second half of the season certainly since the summer break mm -hmm. he's looked tentative and a bit off form and a bit nervy and because of his brilliance, he's rescued some some results. But at no stage in the last four or five races has he looked like a guy that was going to go forward and, and win. And this weekend, he was just, as you say, elbows out, gloves off, pulling some outrageous moves and doing all of that front-end trickery that we had come to sort of admire and love so much in the first first section of the, of the championship. Whereas, I have to say, and we have to be careful on this one because we don't want to get class action lawsuits uh, thrown at us, but... There is some 
something going on with the Leopard Honda because that thing should not be that fast in a straight line. Everybody mentions it every race. Yep. I I know the engines are sealed. Uh, I was listening to another podcast. I won't mention which one it was, and I won't mention who was on it. But somebody who was a mechanic in the Moto Three paddock was on this podcast and were making suggestions that there's a little bit of ECU trickery going on in certain garages up and down the pit lane uh, and uh, certain hondas are quicker than others well, and that's all i will say on the matter but Ooh. it was it was clearly demonstrated this weekend on the main straight i don't want to jump too far forward because you're, you're doing uh, the, the race rundown but during the slipstream of foggia when they were running first and second could not get by mm-hmm. so that leopard is so quick without a slipstream it, is a it, it, it totally is and i mean they call him the rocket for good for good reasons. So I think in this particular weekend, Acosta's performance was all the more brilliant, really, considering that because Portimao has such a long front straight that that speed advantage that bike apparently has is a is a big advantage. And Acosta was doing all of his uh, overtaking on the turns, as, as we've come to expect. Hmm. We get we're, we need to look into that. That that we yeah we, we need to f- figure this one out. Um, the top four were starting to slide away here very early on. Then McPhee went down to turn 13. McPhee lost the front. It was all because of the fact that he was trying to keep up with everybody else. These guys out front, the top four were setting a pace that was quick, and you had to be riding quick to stay with everybody. Acosta had gotten by Artigas finally. That was where he sort of got shuffled back a little bit, and he was at the end of the group, but he needed to to get around Artigas. Artigas was doing his best to be a blocker, to try to put something in there. Um, you know, he wasn't technically blocking Acosta in any way. Just he was making it hard for Acosta to get around, which that that's your job. You know, you, you're riding for Leopard. They, you need to do that. And I have no problem with it. It wasn't dirty by any means, but Acosta finally got the move, got by. And you had Fagia, Bender, Acosta, and Artigas, your top four. There was that little bit of a bit of a gap. A couple of laps later, Mino, who had got to the front of the second pack, drug everybody back together again. And now you're back to another 10, group of 10, basically out front there. Acosta was got by Bender at, top, at turn five because Bender was there. So now it's Fagia, Acosta, the two people that are in this championship they're now nose to tail let's see what happens here and as you noted rich anytime they came down the straight with Fagia out front acosta could get close to Fagia, but he didn't have enough in that ktm to go by Fagia. but he only needed to be close because he outbroke broke him going into turn one but he went wide to do it which meant he had to go really deep I think that was a big learning moment for Acosta in this race because he never really tried to go past Fagia again in turn one. Mm. He started looking at that point at other places that Fagia was weak on the track that he could make up that difference of time. Uh, Masia came to join the party a little bit later on. He got by Bender and got into the front. And with 10 laps... To go, it was Fagia, Acosta, Masia, Bender, Antonelli, Alcoba, Mino, and Sasaki. They were the guys that were out front. 
Now, Masha nudges out Fagia at uh, turn two, and then Acosta also went by. So Masia, who is a demon on the brakes, found a way to get at least close enough to outbreak Fagia, and by bumping him wide, brought his teammate with him. So, hey, we had Artigas at the beginning kind of running blocker. Suddenly, Masi is there running blocker now for Acosta. So we had two KTMs against sort of the Honda. Again, it's a back-and-forth thing. There's so many things that are happening on the lap that you really... I can't do it justice to what's all going on. This is sort of like the high points of things that, that happen. Be one of the things that I also noticed, did you notice, Rich, the amazingly different line that Acosta runs from turn eight over the hill to turn nine? The sort of the famous Willie who completely different. He yeah. goes very far to the left, stays left, and then comes back to the right, where everybody else is over to the right much farther. I think his line is a much better line because it did not seem as though his bike would wheelie as much. It did not wiggle as it came over the top as much. I don't think anybody's backing off in these instances going over. I do think some people are using more rear brake than others to keep the front end down as they go over that crest. But I think that by positioning his bike farther to the left, Acosta doesn't have to use as much brake, rear brake. So he's able to keep up. It was very interesting to see the difference of his line. And what was amazing to me, nobody copied it. It was just him there by himself doing this, doing something that was that was different. And odd that nobody copied his line, really, because you would have thought that if anybody was going to copy anybody, they'd be copying him. You would <laughs> think, so different. Yeah. they didn't. Strange. Uh, by late to go, Acosta gets passed by Masia, and he looks back... And literally, four more guys go by. And I'm thinking, what are you doing, kid? <laughs> you, every time anybody ever looks back in Moto3, they drop two or three places because now you've created an air break because your body yeah. isn't tucked in behind the fairings. And we know that the aerodynamics are incredibly important on these little bikes with very little horsepower. And I'm like, oh, good grief. There's only uh, eight laps to go. What are you thinking? Again, the intrigue that's going on here, I can't describe to you, but it's fascinating to watch. What's there's, there's a lot going on at play in everybody's minds that's there. Give it a couple laps, and Acosta suddenly is right back to second place again. It was as if, like, I took a timeout, I cooled my tires, I decided I needed to sort of sit back for a second or two, and then he went riding right back to the front again. With three to go, Acosta at turn three in the lead. So, again, he's not trying to outbreak Fagia going into one. He's waiting to turn three and outbreaks him there. And then he's in the lead. So it's Acosta, uh, then Fagia, then Bender also went through. So then it's Acosta, Bender, Fagia. Masia then went down at turn five. He clipped Bender and went down. Then Acosta has a small little gap. I thought, okay, this is it. He's got it. He's got it. He, he's figured out, kind of like Quattrarello, right? You, you pass everybody in a twisty bit, and then you ride off and put a gap on people that they can't pull back on a straightaway on you. And I thought, okay, this is it. This is it. Nope. It didn't matter because Fagia came right back by again. Again, the missile that is a Leopard bike, it, you know, entered into hyperdrive and just <laughs> right on by again. For He's got a nitrous oxide button or something. There's something, there's something on there. <laughs> yeah, something's going on. But uh, 
Fallja had went by at turn 11, which was an awesome move. Like, very few people actually passed at turn 11, but it showed that Fazia had the balls, he had the nerve, and had the handling to be able to do that pass. And I'm like, yeah. I was wondering what that was going to do to the kid. Because, like, ooh, that's... that's... Is that a bit off camber at the top of the hill there oh, as well? It's a tricky, it's a tricky it's turn tricky. To, to pass. It's a tricky little, it's a tricky spot. I'm not sure if it's off camber one way or the other, but I thought, Ooh, what's this going to do to the kid's confidence? Yeah. Zero. <laughs> Cause he just came ripping right on back by again. And we get to the last lap. It looked like, uh, Acosta was going to try to go by Foggia on the brakes at one. He did not. Garcia went by Acosta. Now Acosta then rolled under, went right underneath Garcia, charged up the inside, and as we go through to heading to three, Acosta puts a brilliant move on Foggia. Clean, simple, direct block pass. Perfectly executed by a guy who can ride on the front. Brilliant move. Fazia starts to cut back to go under cut Acosta and head up the hill when suddenly out of nowhere comes Brad Bender and just wipes out Dennis Fazia. Dive bomb Darren. That's it. Championship over. As long as Acosta can finish the lap, he will be world champion. Acosta does. He takes the championship. He takes the victory. Mina would take second on the snipers team because chaos had ensued because of the accident with Bender. So that shuffled everything from there. Alcoba would be fourth. Guevara fifth. Sasaki sixth. Fanati seventh. Artigas eighth. Suzuki ninth. Salak tenth. Fernandez eleventh. To tie twelfth. Uh, Holigod or Holigadu thirteenth. Kelso. Yeah, thank you. Um, Kelso, 14th, and then Sura was 15th with the last points winner. In that list, nowhere to be found was the fact that Brad Bender was disqualified by race control. I ask you, Rich, does the punishment fit the crime for what happened to Darren Bender? Uh, in terms of disqualification, yeah, uh, yes, I, I believe so, uh, because he has a bit of a reputation for this, and if you're going to start banning on you for things because he's got a bit of a reputation as well then you have to be even-handed I mean I was almost wondering whether or not they might put him on the sideline for Valencia for that one as well now there's been obviously there's been an awful lot of traffic on this one over the mm. last few days oh, yeah. picking the bone picking the bones out of it and it, it is true to say that as you say that that awesome pass at turn three that Acosta put onto Foggia did send Foggia a little bit wide and it slowed him down as he was going to on a slightly different angle to the apex. So his bike was kind of in a position that Binder might not have expected it to have been. But we have to remember in all of this that Binder overtook Garcia and then he hit Foggia. It wasn't as if he tried an overtake on Foggia and hit him. It, it, he was going past two bikes and even then he wasn't going to make the corner. So if Foggia hadn't been there, he would have definitely taken Garcia way, way wide, if not off anyway, because he kind of T-boned. Fodger. he was just going that fast and well i mean the the nickname is you know well deserved isn't it i mean they've been calling him dive bomb darren for quite some seasons that that is obviously that's a nickname that he's earned through that sort of activity so i mean for me 
you know, it's a race and it's not anything else is these things happen on the last lap. But for a guy, I was looking back through his career stats since he joined the paddock uh, a little bit earlier on, just so I could talk with a little bit of authority on this. He's had one. So, so he came full time into the championship in 2015. And in that time, he's had one victory and six podiums. Now, OK, he hasn't always been on. Certainly in the early days, he wasn't on, let's say, the best of machinery. You, you can certainly say that. But the question I have is, is, is this MotoGP material really? I think that's the bigger question to ask, really. And it, it's reignited uh, with some pretty tough comments coming from, you know, different classes, some pretty um, vociferous debate around this whole idea of super licenses and whether to get into MotoGP, you, you should need to have achieved certain things or attained certain levels before you get that, that hot ticket. And in this particular case, I have to say, I think that's a debate that needs to be had with regards to Darren Binder, because he hasn't really done very much in Moto3. Physically, he's too big for the bike. You can certainly see that. He's a bit like Alcoba, looks way too big and it's, it slows him down. So he has to make up the time in other ways. We we understand that. But really, for him to jump past Moto2, uh, given his record, I, I can't really see the sense of it uh, and the, the the rules and the regs because there isn't a super license type of uh, format involved in all of this. Obviously, d- there's nothing that can be done to stop it. So, but on a a 200 and what 250, 260 brake horsepower Yamaha, and it's going to be a couple of year old Yamaha as well. So he's going to be having to make up time on that thing as well. It, it spells potential disaster to me. Okay, there's a lot there in that. Um, let's shelve that super license idea for another show. Because I think that's got, that's got legs that we need to truly talk about. In the context of this particular crash, I was on the side of Simon Crafar when I first saw it. As Simon correctly pointed out, and as I can tell you from having raced bikes as well, with the move that Acosta puts on Foggia, Foggia is now rolls out because he's wanting to turn to go to the apex which is his right to do he has he has that line but that puts Fajia in a place and puts him slower than what you expect when you're coming from behind remember bender is trying to get by garcia who is in front of him now bender has taken the advantage and says i am going to make a move and is setting himself for that move going into it however when he comes into it what isn't there what is there that shouldn't be there is now Fagia and his bike, which is a bad news deal. So I thought completely racing incident until I saw it from like the camera that was like above, I think it's like a helicopter shot. Bender was never, ever, ever going to make that corner, despite what anybody says or what anybody thinks. Garcia was going to be used as a berm to continue that corner for him. It was a true dive bomb, and he definitely took his brain out and crashed people when he didn't need to crash them. What, I'm not sure what he was going to gain, because he wasn't like Garcia was only a few points ahead of him in the championship. So it just seemed to be the weird thing to do. Disqualifying him from the race... Given that, I agree. He should be. Right call by race direction, 100%. 
Does he need to be sat down for the last race at Valencia? Mm. You're on a slippery slope of precedent because look what you did to Anchu, but you didn't do it to Bender. Now, I can give Bender a bit of leeway in this situation just because of the fact that his is more a racing incident because he's trying to pass somebody else and he screwed it up as opposed to somebody weaving in a straight line. There is the only distinction of difference I can give you in my mind that I'm okay with Bender just getting disqualified from it. I think we'll leave that there unless you have something else that you want to put into it, Rich. Well, I wasn't I wasn't advocating that he should be um, benched for the final race. I think that would be unfortunate given that as things presently stand, it's going to be his last Moto3 race. So, I mean, personally, I, I wouldn't be in favour of that. But but raising the Onchu thing is, is correct because, as you said, Jim, it, it, a precedent is set for dangerous riding or, or causing collisions. And particularly in this case, he took two other riders out. Um, you know, and they could have... All right, it wasn't high, high speed like we saw at Cota. But nevertheless, you can still do yourself a lot of damage. I mean, Garcia had a relatively slow high side at Cota and damaged his kidneys, I think it was, or was his liver, I can't remember which one it was now, and, you know, this was his first race back from that, so for him to hit the deck again, you know, could have been, could have been problematical, so I think Binder's on a sticky wicket on that one, but I think he probably will get away with it, just about, but you could understand that it would be deserved, given the precedent that has now been set, but for me, it was a racing incident, it was a racing incident, sure. but he was completely out of control. And, the, you know, the measure for me is always, are you going to make the corner if if you don't use another bike to slow you down? Now, they all went down in this particular case, but he, as you said, he wasn't going to make that corner. He would have gone way wide. And it's a bit like this fatuous uh, debate that uh, and stuff that always goes on with Formula One about track limits and stuff. It's like, well, if there was a brick wall there, like there used to be in the olden days, you'd respect the track limit. So, you know, you... you <laughs> Yeah, I, I know where you're going. Binder was, Binder was going off. So, uh, I mean, you, you can draw your own conclusion from it, but certain angles make it look, you know, better or worse. And I've been quite surprised. There's been quite a lot of support to say he wasn't out of control. It was just a racing incident. And that's one one take. But for me, it was it was much more borderline than that. So the disqualification definitely had to be done. I'll Not add to this mention one. the fact, what we haven't mentioned, Jim, is that you know, the, the innocent bystander in all of this was Dennis Foggia because that yeah, poor guy, yeah. championship. You know, so, and probably, in fairness to Pedro Acosta, probably not the way he wanted to win the championship mm-hmm. with his rival being taken out like that. So I'm sure he would have preferred to come in first with Foggia second and he would have won the championship anyway. There, there's, there's a lot there. One, we don't know, if Foggia stays on the bike, we do not know what happens. I can conclude, and I think you would agree with me, he nips Acosta at the line. I think he does. That's it's speculation. It's it's hiff and butts. But given as fast as what Fazia's bike was, Acosta would have had to have rode the last three corners of his life to keep Fazia from going by. That's how I see it. It's my opinion. But doesn't I don't want to see Fazia get knocked off by Bender. You know, it's a completely different thing to me if. Acosta had screwed the move up and they both went down. That's a different that's different because that's two guys fighting for a championship. Yeah. The, the, here this is one guy 
who is nowhere in the championship, who is going to take out another guy who is in the championship. So that's completely different. The other thing about him going to a MotoGP bike at Yamaha, I'm speculating he's the only one who would ride that bike for the price, which I think is little to no money to ride. That's an opinion. Yeah. Don't know. Got nothing to back it up. But that's a precious bike. And you pick Darren Bender out of everybody that you could. Either people think you think the team is damaged goods because of what's happened, which may or may not be the case. But that's I mean, that's a whole other bit of <laughs> raw to raw that we can go through speculation. So too far into um you know get themselves into trouble but the rnf team as it's called next year is, is people mm -hmm. have been rather glibly saying that it's that, that stands for razlan needs funds Ooh. uh rnf <laughs> so yeah, so well, maybe that's... He, he could have paid he could have paid to be on the bike we don't know and we're not we're not going to know but yeah. let's get back to the wrap this up move on to the two other races here um, Acosta is your world champion. I thought it was kind of cool. He had the fishing thing, kind of his father was a fisherman. His family was a fisherman. I thought that was cool to fish the golden helmet out. I enjoyed that. Um, he needs to work on it. He also had the yellow, uh, or not yellow, orange bib, which indicates like a rookie in most, uh, classes. If you have that on, that you're new to racing. You see it at club level events all the time with stuff like that. Yeah. It's different colors in different countries. It's Europe's, I think, predominantly orange. I think here we had uh, like bright lime green kind of a color. Foggia is second in the championship. So Costa's got the championship. Foggia is second in the championship. He is uh, 45 points ahead of Garcia. So he's going to finish second regardless. Then after that, it was Fanati, uh, Masia, Antonelli. Bender is seventh in the championship. Uh, Guevara, Sasaki, and then Mino round out how we are. There's really nothing left to play with now. He play for here. You know, there's a couple people that are a few points apart of each other. The Masia Fanati uh, thing is only like a one point difference between the two of them. So that's probably going to be fun to watch here at the end. But that's all I've really got for Moto Three. Is there anything else, Rich, that we want to? I think we pretty much covered it all. Not on the race, but I, I just. You know, cannot wait to see what Acosta is going to do on a Moto Two bike. That that mm. is so exciting and compelling to mm -hmm. see. Is he going to be a Della Porta or is he going to be a Jorge Martin? You, you know, because yeah. some riders arrive at Moto Two and they just hit a brick wall. And and some of them, like Della Porta, is a perfect example as a Moto Three champion, is completely in the wilderness. And and probably if he doesn't have a good year next year might be st struggling to find a seat in the paddock, whereas you'll get a, a you know a Brad Binder or a Jorge Martin or even going back a bit, Ma uh, Maverick Vinales. They just adapt to the Moto2 bike and they're instantly quick and start winning. So, and that kind of propels them on to MotoGP, you know, quickly. Or, or, or you're one of these riders who's good in Moto2, but you just get mired there and you just live there forever and a day. Like, you know, the, your Tom Lutes and your Sam Lowe's. Yes, They've had a stint in MotoGP, but it came far too late for them and it just didn't work. And they end up back in Moto2 again. So it is going to be very interesting to see how Acosta makes that transition. And I'm pretty sure we discussed this a few episodes back, but I'm, I'm fairly sure that we've seen some Twitter sort of footage and stuff of him hammering around on a 600cc mm -hmm. bike yep. on some Spanish track. So he's clearly, you know, getting himself used to the extra weight and the, the different power delivery and stuff. So he's going to be doing his homework over the winter. 
Yep. Uh, we should say that Acosta is the first rookie world champion in the lightweight class in 31 years. I had to stop and think about that. It's 31 years since Loris Caparossi won the 125 title, which goes to show you how competitive that class is. goes to show you how good you have to be to be a Moto3 world champion and makes you really understand if you look at some of the past champions of the class that got stuck in either the 250 or Moto2 class or had one stint, one try at MotoGP and couldn't, couldn't cut it and weren't there. So you have to obviously have an amazing amount of talent. You have to be really good at your craft and yet you still may not be elite of the elite if you will, because I think you got to be sort of elite to be a Moto3 world champion. You're the elite of the elite to be a Moto2 world champion. And then you're sort of the elite of the elite of the elite to be a MotoGP champion. So, uh, yeah. Congratulations to the kid. Uh, impressive season by all accounts. Uh, yeah. I'll cover Moto2 qualifying real quick and then we'll have you sum up that, or sorry, MotoGP qualifying and we'll have you sum up the race. How's that, Rich? Yep. Okay. okay, so MotoGP qualifying in the first round, we had Nakagami, Zarco, Oliveira, Alessia Spargaro, Binder, uh, Vinales, and Davizioso. Doesn't that sound sounds like the front two rows of, of a really good MotoGP <laughs> race? It is amazing yeah. uh, how deep qualifying has become. Binder went down in super slow-mo motion of a low side. Uh, by halfway, Zarco was leading Alessia Spargaro, Oliveira, and Lekawona. Nakagami went down, Lekawona went first, to first place. Um, Bashni then blew in for a second place position, but no, that wasn't going to happen. Zarko came around to become second. And then um, at the end, both Zarko and Lekawona go through into that second session. In the second session, Marini went down early. Halfway through, it was Miller from Mir from Martin, Benyaya, Polisbargo, and Zarko. Uh, Quattro was ninth. He had a lap canceled due to the yellow flag when the, on the Marini incident. So he was suffering some bad luck with yellow flags. Benyaya went to first. It was a Benyaya versus Miller thing. Quattro could only manage seventh. Benyaya would go on to be... Uh, find the qualifying here. To be at Sunday. Need Saturday, Jim. Benyaya went on to claim the front top spot miller was his teammate was second so it's a ducati one two mir showed some good form on the suzuki for the first time i think they have like the second generation of the uh flexi bike if you will so yep. he was looking much better there martin was fourth and then zarko so we have ducati ducati as suzuki ducati ducati finally a honda with pole fabio could do no better than seventh couldn't get it together at all but what did it really matter? He's world champion. Alex Marquez with a brilliant qualifying to be eighth. He looked pretty good on that bike. Followed by Morbidelli, Lekawona, Rins, and Marini. I am saddened to say that Lekawona will not be with us next year. I think he's finally turned a corner and has looked pretty good on that motorcycle, only to be going to Honda World Superbike with Verhe. Sorry to see the man go out of there. I mean, he's got a shot to come back, obviously, but I... I think Lekawana had really finally turned a corner. Yeah, he's been strong again in the second half, or since coming back from the summer break. Mm -hmm. uh, Agreed. Yeah, it seems tough 
tough really on him to be having to leave the paddock. Not so much leaving Tech 3 KTM because they just have so many talented riders coming up through that they just oh, yeah. have to create space. But, you know, without labouring the point, I mean, returning to that, as of a couple of weeks ago, spare Yamaha, you would have thought Lacona would have been an absolute oh. perfect fit for that bike. Yeah. Which makes me think there's something contractual that couldn't be undone that was done during the Patronus period, obviously with them coming out, or, or whether it is purely a funding related thing. And, you know, Binder's bringing a lot of a lot of sponsorship with him, perhaps. Who knows? But yeah. it seems a shame. But there we go. Um, that's more than MotoGP for you. <laughs> anyway, um, that was uh, Banyar's fifth consecutive pole position as well. Yes, that is true. Which is better than Stoner? Stoner never did five consecutive poles on the. Ducati. I think, yeah, no, I, I, think, think, he not. Did. I, I think, think not. I think not. Yeah. I think not. A couple. I know he'd be maybe three, four, but not five. So I mean, for anybody to knock off five poles in a row on completely different racetracks is impressive. So yeah, um, yeah, and it, it does it does rather give credence to the more widely held view now. And you wouldn't have said this a couple of seasons ago that the Ducati is probably just about the best all-round bike out there now. You would almost have to think that. Yeah. So what did happen in the race, take... Rich? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay, no, so, no, 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 no. Um, if you had something else to add, please add. No, no, no. No, no, I was going to get get into the race. Given how much they do practice starts over the course of a weekend, it was rather odd to see Banyai fluff, fluff his lines off pole position because he had a bit of a bit of a jump uh, uh, coming off the green light. Uh, but anyway, I mean, given the, the Exocet missile that that Ducati is, he was into first place uh, by turn three, but he had a pretty, by, by his recent standards, he had a pretty poor uh, getaway from the, from the lights. Mir was, uh, he was third on the grid. He had a, a strong start, uh, maintained third initially, but he, I think was through to second within a lap or two. Unfortunately, uh, poor old uh, Danilo Petrucci, he went down on lap one, which was the same fate that befell him, I think in uh, uh, Misano. Uh, yeah. a week or two weeks ago whenever that was so given that Valencia is going to be his last career race in MotoGP I'm just got everything crossed for the guy that he actually gets to the finish line because he could really do with some good luck he could yeah I agree um so uh, so poor old Petrucci was down I, we didn't see what happened but I think there was some suggestion that one of the uh, uh works KTM bikes might have uh, helped him go down I think there was some suggestion that Binder might have uh, might have made contact with him, but it wasn't caught on film, I don't think. So let's just hope that he has yeah, better luck in Valencia and much better luck on the Dakar when he gets uh, gets into that next stage of his career. Maybe he was anyway, going to move his role, move his road book <laughs> and lost yeah. control. <laughs> yeah, yeah, looking for his man. We shouldn't be that way because we're never going to be ever near enough, or talented enough to be at that level. So we shouldn't. You could only there, wish. But... We can only wish. One of the one of the big interests of this weekend really was the relative sudden dropping form of of Quattararo. and it has raised again a, a, an interesting debate that I've been reading on and off over the last few days about whether Quattararo has a problem on in certain situations, i.e., when he does not qualify on the front row, or whether the Yamaha has a particular problem when it's in traffic. Now this perhaps as a discussion point that we'll get to because we've seen this with Quattraro and the Yam before. But he, as you said, I think he qualified eighth, was it? And he uh, was maintained. Yeah, he was seventh. Eight, seven, okay. He was seven, he was seven, he was seven he eight. He was place. seven eight there at the start. Yeah. So, so he was running in about eighth, uh, stuck behind 
well, Honda, certainly a, a KTM, I think Lecarona was in front of him initially in the race and obviously quite a lot of Ducatis. And it was very apparent that the Yamaha lacked top speed and therefore he just could not get by. And okay, I'll jump into this now. So Yamaha have a problem and one would assume that with the engine freeze being relaxed and new, new motors, is coming in for next season that the thing that they will try to address as an urgent priority would be a bit more horsepower and a bit more top speed but of course we all understand the concept of the law of unintended consequences is that they might get more top speed but does that then have some adverse effect on another part of the bike's behavior that obviously is something that we will find out but we have seen in races previously with Quattararo in particular that he cooks the front tire when he's in traffic Maybe it's a consequence of the fact that he can't get by and therefore he's having to push the front much, much harder. And if he's in amongst other bikes, you are picking up a lot of heat off these things because they are very, very hot machines when they're running. So we, we see him having front end trouble. And this obviously was the fate that would ultimately befall him in this race. So I think there's a discussion point. Maybe not. Maybe this is another off season thing. But do Yamaha have a problem that's similar to what a Honda have which is a bike and or a rider uh, combination which is devastating when it's going well and a bit all at sea when it's not I don't mm. know if you want to make a comment no, on I, that Jim that sounds like a good topic for for you know a season wrap-up but I do think that there is something inherently wrong with them if they are not on the front row if they're not within that top three top four there is something that is that causes the yamaha to not perform now i think it has to do with the ducatis and all their straight line horsepower that quattro has to ride way over his head on the brakes and be a super demon on them to make it by and if you have that problem, you are going to eventually lose your lose the bike at some point during that. You can't ride on that razor thin edge for 18 races and not have a crash. The interesting thing to me is, is that we know somebody else who, for a long time, did the same thing. One Mark Marquez. However, Marquez always seemed to do his falls or his testing of the limit if you will in practice on friday and saturday very few times after about 20 ooh, what was it 2014 or 2015 because 15 was the last time lorenzo was a world champ mm -hmm. and that's like was the last time mark has been beat until he screwed his arm up it was after that 15 season into 16 Marquez quit falling in races. He, he would he would still crash his brains out, but he just did it in practice. Yeah. And I think he learned, Marquez learns where that limit is and stores it and understands it. I think Quattraro maybe knows there's a limit, but he but either the bike doesn't give him the feel to know that it's predictable every time at that limit, or or Quattraro just doesn't understand that limit's edge. I don't know if that makes sense to you, I, but that yeah, you get, I think so. Uh, I think we need to pick pick the bones out of this one another time, perhaps. Yeah, but, but I do. Well, yeah. 
I do think, I mean, it remains to be seen next season with a fully fit Morbidelli because he's a quick rider and he's, Ooh, very quick. he was working miracles on the Patronus bike last year. Bear in mind that that was a, a one or two year old bike. So mm-hmm. Yamaha have not really been in a position for a few seasons, given the uh, the lack of consistency from Vinales and, and the, the gradual and steady inexorable drop in form of, of Valentino Rossi as his, as his age has kind of crept up on him. And a, a very much a, a tier two satellite squad. They haven't really had a consistently front running rider until Quattararo rocked up. And he is just mm-hmm. so devastatingly quick on a on a qualifying lap on soft tyres that if he qualifies on the front row, more often than not, he gets out front, he does the Lorenzo thing, he he gets his rhythm and he, he can work the strength of that Yamaha in terms of the chassis. Put him further back, the lack of engine power and, and then his inability to run those lines, perhaps coupled with a propensity to push the front a bit too hard and, and overheat the tyre, which has happened on more than one occasion. He he just suddenly gets all, all a, a bit sea. I, I consider him a little bit like somebody like Valtteri Bottas in Formula One. Very quick out front on his own. Put him in the pack and he might as well just park up and go home. Now, I'm not saying yeah. that about Quattararo because we have seen him work his way through on a few races, but right. more often than not, he's not in that position. So it's going to be interesting to see how Yamaha approach this with the the sort of the new bikes being allowed in terms of development next mm-hmm. season and whether solving one problem creates a different one it's going clearly... to be interesting to see what yamaha brings to the tests yeah because that's going to that's going to tell us a lot and you're finally at the point where you are not going to be listening to what valentino rossi says uh, it, it can go one it can be fantastic great and everybody's going to be happy or they could turn into another really bad season of trying to get themselves out of a hole they're in. It could go either way. Let's uh, finish up uh, the race report. In the early laps, um, having sung his praises a little while ago, Lequona was starting to make a a number of uh, ill-advised and ill-executed moves. I think let's be uh, reasonably gentle on him. Um, But really, I have to say that after about five or six laps, the the race settled into something of a let's let's kindly call it a boring rhythm. <laughs> yeah, my, my notes start to get a little bit kind of uh, sparse at this point, but we had you know an excellent ride going on with Alex Marquez, who yes. managed to get himself into third place for for a few laps, uh, having got by uh, uh, Jack Miller. As you said earlier on, Jim. The Suzuki, at least in in uh, Johan Mir's hands, was looking a lot better and was kind of all on its own in second place, really, not looking as if it was in any danger of dropping back to third, but equally not looking as if it was in any danger of giving Banyaya any trouble out front because he was just hitting 139, 139 lap after lap after lap. We've seen this from him before, this, this metronomic consistency within a few tenths every lap, only sort of dropping back a little bit towards the very end of the race. Uh, uh, Alex Rins other than demonstrating a rather wacky new camera view, which I don't know if you saw that on the Friday coverage. Did you get to see this uh, new camera? That they no. no. Oh, oh, well, people, if you haven't seen this, because this was trialled on free practice one on Friday morning. So he had, um, I'm pointing at my shoulder. So oh, this is, his shoulder this, camera. This is not great okay. for, for podcasting, but he had a little kind of round um, camera on his, yeah, basically on, on his shoulder, um, which was giving quite an interesting view of, of uh, how physical, you know, riding one of these things really is so that was his main contribution to the weekend really because other than that we didn't really see anything of him 
Um, so that, that explains the Jenny Tedmith tweet that I saw saying how she had pioneered shoulder cam. I could yeah. not figure out where that came from. Right. No, I know. Okay. That, that's, yeah, I got to go look. I got to go back to first practice and see that. That sounds like a cool view. Yeah, so it, it's bound to be on, on YouTube or, um, well, almost certainly is on the Dawn of Feed somewhere in terms of vid, um, video extracts. But uh, one other point to note this weekend was where did Aprilia go all of a sudden? Because uh, Alicia Spargo was nowhere to be found and, and there was Maverick Vinales. I'm we, not found, sure. we found him in a gravel trap, didn't we? Well, <laughs> yes, uh, Alicia ultimately did. did Go, go gravel hunting whether Vinyal is finished or pulled in I, I can't even remember to be honest but that was really summed up what was he, going on I think he yeah. finished but it was way down the order he didn't score a point I think he might have been 16th or 17th right let me I'll look real quick so not really much to say uh from his point of view the kind of the big news of the of the race really as we were mentioning earlier on was that on lap 13 at turn 13 uh, nice bit of symmetry there um, Quattraro started to show that he was having some difficulties with the front end of his bike because this was before he, he crashed, but he had a, a big moment at uh, turn 13. The, the view of it was actually on board when it happened and it was a kind of Mark Marquez kind of save. You know, the front was completely tucked and he just, just about kept it up, but he dropped two or three positions at that point. And then uh, a few laps later, I think it was actually, I think it was lap 21. So towards the end of the race, going into turn five which is that kind of tricky looks slightly downhill a lot of lot of front brake going on he was just a little bit offline and then front end just washed out from him all very reminiscent of the crash alex marquez uh, sorry not alex marquez uh, alex rins had last season when he was chasing quattro for the win in actual fact had a identical get off there so that was that was the end of, of, of quattro but I think you mentioned it earlier, Jim. That's his first non-finish of the season. Yeah, which is that's why he's world champ, right? A few unkind people were mentioning that he might still be having, suffering a bit of a hangover, and so he didn't quite have his race head on. Um, I can't. I, I don't subscribe to that personally, but no. um, but uh, interesting. Did, that it did he there. party? Did he party after last week's event? Yeah, he did. But he got more than enough time to sober back up. These guys are true professionals. Yeah. And if there's one thing that they love, their drug of choice is winning. Yeah. And that's what they want to do. And they're all about that. He was perfectly fine. Just, yeah. Yeah. No, no. Uh, I was just commenting the fact that some people have been rather... Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. It's, it's, the whole, it's the whole thing where they with 2006 with Rossi at Valencia that Rossi had been out the night before partying and that's why he he fell and why Nikki was champion and like no I I don't I don't one I don't subscribe to it but two I could see where people would think that given that it is Rossi in Rossi's quote prime but no just like Fabio wasn't any no no he he was clearly having some some difficulties with the bike as, as we've discussed already yeah so with the two or three laps to go there was the main thing that we thought was going to be exciting just as the race ran out because because banyard was gone at the front mir was in a, a very comfortable second place but the the main track action was going on between miller and marquez now marquez had got past miller and was in front of him for for some laps and then miller got him back and we were thinking but they were separated by two or three tenths. And we were thinking, oh, Marquez is definitely going to have a go here because he's he's kind of overdue a, a podium. And I think it probably, aside from Aragon, I think Portimao tends to be one of the tracks where he has tended to go 
quite well uh, since he jumped into MotoGP. But unfortunately, we were denied this battle because uh, Lekawona again, our, our friend, told what I thought looked to be from the angle that I saw from at least was a you know a reasonable try of an overtake on uh, Oliveira. I think they were probably battling around about ninth or tenth at the time, so somewhere around there anyway. So not a big points paying position, but unfortunately, he just he tucked the front and just collected Oliveira and they kind of got a bit tangled up. It looked a bit nasty. We didn't, again, quite rightly, you know, the directors and Dorna and so on don't want to dwell too much on the detail of a crash until they know that people are okay. So we didn't really see in a huge amount of detail what had happened, but it was clearly enough of a concern that with two laps remaining and nothing else too much going on on track, um, they they felt they had to throw the red flag. So with seventy five percent distance covered, that was that was the result. Yeah, I think they threw the red flag because you had Oliveira in an impact zone potentially. I think that I think that was the more you know he was obviously felt that he was not able to get himself up. Which if that's the case. Yes, you you throw a red flag, but I also think that it was one of those things where you, you definitely that's an impact zone because anybody else could have lost the front end and would have been right where he was. You cannot take that risk if if a rider potentially has an injury that he cannot help to get himself up and get out of that impact zone. You need to have a red flag so that the proper medical attention can be brought to them immediately it was one of those things where it could have been just a stinger in a leg that he couldn't feel something and it just took a few minutes to wear off and like oh, okay yeah I, I understand again that that that's happened to me dirt track and i got a leg bent underneath of me and it was kind of all numb numbing out well that you know <laughs> that makes the paramedics go crazy and gave me a ride to the hospital in an ambulance only to like once i got there everything turns back on again and it's, you you pinch a nerve or something in there and same thing could happen to Oliveira. Yeah. I will never argue with the fact of safety. Safety no, no, trumps no. everything. So I'm not disappointed that they threw a red flag at all. Um, there wasn't, it, I just, I just think they would have done that regardless of whether there was a really good battle for third with, with Marquez and, and Miller, or there was, everybody was just all strung out in the line. I think they would have made the same call. And they should, as they should have. Yeah, and let us let us not forget that we had a bike sailing through the air, narrowly avoiding a marshal at the last round. Yes, which you know shouldn't have been a reminder to anybody because uh, you know the the authorities and the people that run this sport uh, are always all over that anyway. But um, yeah, I mean, as it happened, it didn't really rob us of a great battle anyway. No. So no, 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 no harm, no foul on that one. Maybe Marquez would have got past Miller. We'll we'll never know. But um, so that was that was the end of the race. So we had uh, yeah Banyaya, um, Mir, and Miller on the podium. Alex Marquez still got to go into Park Ferme as the uh, front finishing independent team rider. Uh, then we had uh, Zarco, Polis Bargaro, uh, Martin Rins, Bastianini. Slightly quieter weekend for Bastianini. Uh, Binder, Nakagami. Marini, Rossi came in 13th with Davizioso 14th and bringing up uh, 15th was uh, was Stefan Bradl on, on Mark Marquez's bike. So that was the that was the result, Jim. So I don't know, we don't really need to talk about the championship yeah, too much because it's, it's, it's a done deal. <laughs> and yeah. looking at the point spread with the exception of Miller and Zarco in fourth and fifth, 
who are a couple of points away from each other. There isn't really anything that's going to be altered in, in Valencia, uh, I don't think, particularly. What, one little bit of naughtiness that I did just quickly do uh, before we came on for the show was, and I know this is a pointless thing, but just as a little bit of uh, sort of funny speculation, if Banyaya hadn't thrown it into the into the fence at Mazzano, if he had won, which would have put Quattararo fifth, mm-hmm. uh, but if the race result had gone as it did this weekend with, with Quattararo going out, they would have been heading into Valencia 13 points apart. Yeah, ifs and buts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But hey, that's, that's why you have a championship. So kind of evens it all out. Just interesting to see what that would have looked like uh, in a parallel universe. <laughs> so, <laughs> Moto2. Are you ready for Moto2? As ready as I'll ever be, given... Yeah, yeah, given, given, <laughs> given, given how that one went down. Oh, yeah. for the record, Vinales did finish 16th. Oh, thank Aprilia. you. He okay. was, yes. Right. I looked at I never did mention that. I figured we'll get in there. Uh, Moto2, uh, QP1. So, we had Roberts, uh, DG Antonio, Dixon, Arbolino... Uh, Baldessari, Ramirez, and Schroeder were all there. Who's missing out of that group? Cambobier, who made it to QP1 for the first time. Way to go, Cam. Roberts went down uh, and spun around and flipped over in what was a pretty wild crash. Uh, and then Dixon was down at turn five, but eventually DJ Antonio, Ramirez, Schroeder, the fish, Hoffy Siren, all got through to go into the second qualifying session. That second qualifying session, halfway through, it was Raul Fernandez, Adrian Fernandez, Bezecchi, Navarro, Lowe's, and DG Antonio. Remy was way down in 17th. Remy could not get going for some reason. Again, just like Moto3, the last sector was ruining everybody's runs. And again, it, it has to be environmental because it was everybody. It wasn't just there. So it must have been the wind. We'll, we'll, we'll call it the wind. Uh, but everybody was losing time in there. Kanet wound up going down at turn 14. Fernandez would get the pole position. Remy would pull together to be just a few tenths behind him to get there. He's like two, uh, he's a tenth, two tenths behind. Then DJ Antonio, Kanet, Fernandez, Bobier qualified six. Great. Great race, great, not race, great qualifying effort from Cam. Then Bezecchi, Lowe's, Agura, Navarro, Vierge, Garzo, Ramirez, Vietti, Schroeder, Sirene, Manzi, and Arenas. Arenas having a terrible time on the Moto2 machine. That was qualifying. We get to the race. It starts out with Raul Fernandez. Well, I guess, let me back up here. There was a tire choice that had to be made. We learned that Bezecchi went on to the soft rear option and Raul Fernandez went on the soft rear as well. Remy chose a hard, as did everybody else that was in the group. They all chose that hard, harder option tire. So from the start, Raul got the whole shot, gone. He was putting down laps, pulling away, Bezecchi wound up going by Remy. Again, soft tire, should work in the beginning. And then Arenas went down with a high side at turn 15. Um, Joe Roberts was like really, really wide, trying to avoid that. He ran way wide. That was nasty. Oh, and I guess we should talk about Remy having that terrible crash at 14, where he tagged the back of Ramirez in free practice one or two. And just, oh, two, and just went 
over the high side. I was like, ooh, I saw that. I was like, wow, he's going to be sore in the morning, which I'm sure that Remy was. But there's a championship to be won, right? Um, a girl went down at turn 14, and it's just Raul, it's Bezeki, it's Gardner. Bobier and Kinnett and Loves have a really good battle going on. However, we do not get to see it as the attention stays at the front the entire time. I was disappointed in that. Yes, I know there's a championship going on, but there was no action going on at the front. I would rather have seen Lowe's and Bobier and Kinnett all going together for it. Dixon would go down at turn one. Vierge goes down at turn one. Finally, with about 10 laps to go, the tire starts to go off for Fernandez. Remy starts putting in times that are significantly quicker, a couple tenths each lap, three, four tenths faster. Remy catches him. Remy passes him. Bezeki is going backwards fast, which is interesting at how good. The amazing thing is how good Fernandez does on a tire that was completely shagged. Some of the slow-mos, you could just see the black lines on those tires and just ripping the rubber off of it. It was terrible. Yep. You were wanting, you thought, since Bezeki went backwards so fast, you thought the same thing would have to happen to Fernandez. Credit to him, he held on. However, Lowe's had gotten through the Canet Bobia thing. He had won that fight, and he was almost a second a lap faster than Fernandez was. Remy's gone. Remy has done one. The math is that Remy's world champion, if Raul finishes third or worse and Remy wins, Remy's did his part. And I'm thinking, here comes Lowe's at the very end. He's going to nip. Raul, and Remy's going to be world champion here. However, he does not. Raul hangs on to second by eight-tenths. If that race is one lap longer, <laughs> Remy Gardner's world champion in the Moto2 class. However, that's not what happened. Uh, Lowe's got a podium. Good for him. Then Canet. Bobia with a fifth. Great effort by Cam to Best be fifth. Result. So Best result in. by far and away. I think he's getting it. I think it's coming together for him. And I, you know, he's going to be on the same team next year. He knows the tracks now. He knows how these guys ride. And I think well, it's going to be better. I, I think um, there are a couple of other examples of this. He did pretty well in, in Mizano, I think, although he might have ultimately fallen, but he was fast. But this, you know, is a return track for him. And so it goes to mm. show that that track knowledge does count for a lot so next season is going to be really compelling again with with bobier in terms because he's he's quick that guy isn't he i mean oh yeah i know you, I know you can have this debate about you know the depth of the field in moto america and so on but you don't yeah. win as much as he has without being a top class rider oh, so and he's starting course. to show starting to show his class in in moto two Yep. And we need, yeah. a, we need a need a couple of fast americans let's be honest we do we do i'm especially with joe roberts going a well yeah, I don't know what happened there. That's for a whole other discussion. Along <laughs> along the wrap up uh, for seasons. Oh, where were where was I? Oh, uh, after Bobier, it was Viet it was Celestino Vietti who had a quiet race to run up to that point. He definitely came through the pack. Then Navarro Bezeki fell all the way to eighth. Augusto Fernandez could not make anything work. He has been the man of the hour and could not do anything this race. Don't know why. Then Schroeder, DG Antonio with a very bad race. Then Garzo, Manzi, Ramirez, Bobin Schneider getting the last point. This race really had nothing in it. 
other than the drama at the end was could Lowe's pass uh, Fernandez to give Remy the world championship? He has not, or could not. So Remy is on 305. Fernandez is on 282. That is a 23-point lead going into the championship. So Remy was just has to score two points more than whatever Raul scores to be champion, I believe. Yeah. So uh, if I got the maths right there, it's that it's it's those two guys. It's been those two guys. It was always going to be these two guys. I still hold true to the fact that Aussie Grit and Remy Gardner will prevail in this one. That is to take nothing away from Raul Fernandez, who has been brilliant on a Moto2 motorcycle. These two guys at the Tech 3 team next year on MotoGP bikes intrigues me to no end because I think they're both talented, and I think Remy will actually go better on a bigger bike than he will uh, on the Moto2 bike. Fernandez is the wild card. Don't really know what he's going to do. If he was going to that second Yamaha seat, I would say that boy would be dangerous on that bike because of his style, but he's going to the KTM, and I don't know if that's going to mesh well. Again, I might not get my facts or or speculations entirely right, but didn't we have a conversation back around Austria time that he was trying (laughs) to buy himself out of the KTM contract to the tune of about a half a million euros to get on that Yamaha? So yeah. he clearly agrees with you, <laughs> and um, I, I would I would wholeheartedly agree that Gardner looks like a kind of rear endy. Well, he is a rear endy rider. Oh, he's he a rear endy guy. He yeah, will suit a MotoGP bike once he's got his head around certain aspects of it. Fernandez is the sort of the butter, as Lorenzo used to call it, uh, rider, isn't he? And mm-hmm. you do wonder whether or not that that KHM is going to be a bit of a handful for him initially. I I, I think his mistake, as I've said many, many times, and a great shame that he's not getting another year in Moto2, and quite clearly he felt the same. Yeah. Because he was clearly quite peeved from, from everything that we heard at the time when that announcement was made. So I, I'm just talking about the race again. I, I'm kind of really curious about that decision to go on the soft tyre. Yeah, I don't know where that one came from. It It's almost... It's reminiscent of Acosta's problem at uh, Mazzano, mm. where, was it Mazzano? Well, what yeah. was right before? Port? Yeah, Mazzano. Because yeah. there's, yeah. there's two Mazzanos. Reminiscent of that, where he was on a hard tire and nobody else was. I'm beginning to think that the IO boys have a little more say in what goes on than what we think, but that's speculative. I'm not it's one of those things where if you look at what, or at least, okay, if I'm in that position, the way I'm going to look at it is I would do what Remy does because I know I've got the same bike. I know he's the man I have to beat. So I would want to be equal to him in every way, shape or form. And I would think in myself, I would have a belief that I am the better rider. So if I do everything equal to him, I should beat him. Now you throw a wild card in there where you go to the softer tire. Admittedly, he was brutally fast on that soft tire. It did give out, but he was able to carry on with it. And he was he's lucky to have finished second. Yeah. But he did, which is what he needed to do to keep the championship going. But it's just, it's weird that he did that. Yeah. But maybe he couldn't make anything work on the heart, you know, everybody's feel is different about what happens underneath of them. And maybe he couldn't, 
he he couldn't deal with the hard. Maybe there's something about how he rides more wheels in line that that wasn't going to work. I think so that's he had what it to is. go soft. Yeah, you know? I think that's what it is. I don't think he expected to burn the rear to the extent that Dunlop were saying that it was going to be a problem because Simon Crafer was making the point that the expectation was that with about 10 laps to go, the soft tire or soft Gone. rear would would be starting to struggle. So it is a it does kind of give credence, I suppose, to Fernandez's thought process that he did just about hang on to it, although it was clearly going. But uh, and we know that Remy would have taken the hard because he's he, he's a rear 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 wheel steerer. That's just mm-hmm. his style. That sort of dirt track, flat tracky kind of style, I suppose. Whereas as we say, Fernandez is very much that Lorenzo like wheels in line, corner speed, doing a lot more with perhaps with the front end of the bike than than steering with the rear. So it kind of kind of made sense, but but to go on a split strategy like that seemed weird. But even more incomprehensible to me was Bezeki going on the soft because that guy has a record of burning the back tire and going backwards. So what the hell he was doing on a soft? And is Bezeki is he confirmed in MotoGP class next year? I don't think he is, and I'm starting to wonder whether or not anybody's scratching their heads wondering whether or not he ought to be there really because um, he's not. He's had a poor. It is third in the championship, but. He's really underperformed, really compared to expectations. I would, I would argue. Yeah, I agree. I say we wrap this up, Rich, and we carry on because we've got racing this weekend to cover as well. Folks, drop us an email, give us some feedback. We appreciate the good, the bad, the ugly, like it all. Just send the email to motopod at motopodcast.com. It'll go to all the hosts, past, present, future hosts. We'll all get these emails. You can follow us on Twitter at Moto underscore pod. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Moto RGV. Rich, you are on Twitter. At Richard Jowett. And Instagram now too? Yes, just Richard Jowett on that one. All, all, under, all, all lowercase on, in that particular instance. Mm-hmm. So also remember, folks, that our former hosts, Skylar Vickroy and Jules Chisek, have a virtual racing game get-together, hosting thing, however you want to say it, where you can, every Thursday night at 7 p.m., I think, Pacific Standard Time here in the United States, if you want to, that's your thing, the iRacing thing, if that you're into it, you can ask uh, Skylar to let you in. He can be reached on Twitter, at SkylarV28, and also on Instagram at that as well. You can also send an email to motopod at motopodcast.com. Skylar will see it. If you guys are interested in that, do that. I'm sure it's a good time. It's just not my thing. I've put my requisition request for a £10,000 sim rig into the wife. Um, so far, I've not had it back signed, uh, which is odd, but um, you never know. We live in hope. That would never fly here. <laughs> would <laughs> would it never doesn't, fly. It doesn't appear to be flying here either. <laughs> but uh, but you have it. hope, which is completely different than me. Oh, yeah, the, I know well, I have no choice. You I always have hope. <laughs> yeah. All right, folks, so we've got one championship left to go. It's Gardner versus Fernandez for that Moto2 title. We're going to get out of here. And remember, everybody, ride safe, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye.